A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And today we'll talk a little bit about a, a very famous and important story in recent Jewish history, the case of the um, brother and sister, Hanoch and Miriam Langer, and their status were they Mamzerim, Allow, not allowed to marry into the Jewish people, or were they not mamzerim and allowed to marry into the Jewish people? It's a case that Rav Shlomo Goren, later the chief rabbi of Israel, uh, Paskindan, which became a very controversial and divisive uh, psak. And this this is a story that, to a certain extent, remains with us uh, till today because of the uh, effects of it or the reverberations. Of it, and I want to start off this story by a recollection of mine when I was still a bacher in Mir Yeshiva, and I at the time the uh, the current mashgiach, may he live and be well and good health, or Baron Chadash, um, the longtime mashgiach of the yeshiva. So at that time he was already getting elderly then, and he's still going strong now, but uh, he already needed a bit of assistance with the acceptance uh, of the new students who arrived at each Zman in the yeshiva. And I uh, was commandeered, I think I actually volunteered, to uh, help him out. And what I did was I sat in his office next to him when he received all the new boys who came to the yeshiva. And there's always hundreds of boys coming to the yeshiva every Zman. And I sat next to him and I helped translate a lot of the Americans arriving, believe it or not, could not speak Hebrew or Yiddish, which were the only two languages that he spoke. And, um, and I would, you know, help them translate and speak to him. He was already a bit hard of hearing then. In any event, sometimes there were Israeli boys who came in. It wasn't only Americans also, believe it or not, there were also Israelis who came to the mirror. And an Israeli boy walks into his office. I'm sitting next to the Mashgiach, and Mashgiach says, What's your name? And he says something, I forget his first name, Goren. And the Mashgiach looks up. This is not a standard reaction. And he says, Which Goren? Where do you live? So he said, I live in Tel Aviv. 
And I'm the Goran you're thinking of. So he said, oh, he's, he's your grandfather. He said, yeah. So he said, oh, I remember your grandfather from Hebron Yeshiva. And, you know, they went on to talk, you know, and in front of us was what looked like a regular Israeli yeshiva guy. And, uh, you know, he accepted him into the yeshiva and and whatever. That was a very, uh, very uh, standard conversation, except for that little quirk in the beginning. And when I, when that, that reaction was, you know, Rav Goran was remembered by the Mashkiach in Hebron. And there was that, you know, that, uh, that understanding of, of what he, who he was and what role he played. That was a lot of words that were unspoken at the time. And the reason it was unspoken at the time was because of the story we're about to tell. One thing that we do owe this whole Langer story for, and a really big thank you to the Langers and to Rav Goran, was that we got Rabbi Yashiv out of this story. Rabbi Yasef Sholomo Yashiv, who was uh, pretty, almost undisputed as the, one of the greatest, or the greatest at the end of his life, Paiskim and Halacha, and uh, one of the accepted leaders of the Jewish people, um, a great, uh, great man, in any respect and by by all opinions. And the reason that he became so accepted and the reason he was considered a mainstream in the Haredi community in Israel was because of the Langer case. But prior to that, um, he was on the fringes. He was a part of the Rabbanut establishment. He was the head of the Beit Din Hagadol, the great Bezdin of the Rabbanut in Yerushalayim and which was seated in Heichal Shlomo, which had already been banned by the Briskarov and others. When someone asked Rebbe Yashiv why he was allowed to sit in Heichal Shlomo of the Rabbanut, when the Briskarov said, you're not allowed to be there, he said, the Briskarov didn't mean me. He didn't mean me. Maybe he didn't mean him because he needed it for to make a parnasa, to make a living, or other reasons, but in any event, he wasn't considered completely mainstream until 1972 when the Langer case uh, exploded and Rav Goran gave his psak to allow the Langer kids to get married. So the Rav Yashiv, and this I heard directly from his son because it's a famous and brought in many places and a lot of sources for it, but I actually heard this from his son, Rav Yashiv, Yashiv, whom quite close with, and related to also, and he and he uh, verified it with. He confirmed it that that his father actually resigned in protest uh, from the rabbanut because of the psak of Rav Goran, and as a uh, in a very dramatic move, he resigned from the rabbanut and he left it, and he was welcomed, and he had never been part of the Mayatzis Gedayli Hatayra of the Agudas Yisrael, for instance. But and when the Mayatzis Gedayli Hatayra of Agudas Yisrael. Uh, uh, convened an emergency meeting at the time to protest against Rav Goran's lenient psak in the Langer case. So they invited Rebel Yashiv, who had just resigned from the Rabbanut. And they said, hey, join our group. We're going to make a protest against Rav Goran. And Rebel Yashiv, that was the first meeting of the Mayatzis that he had ever attended. And he was welcomed and celebrated and applauded for his action. Rav Shach, the stipler, who was his mechut and also, and others, uh, welcomed him in, and he that was that be, that made him made him mainstream, and eventually led him to becoming one of the great leaders of the Haredi community in Israel. So we definitely owe 
Uh, we got Rabbi Yashiv out of that story. So it's definitely an important story for that and for other reasons as well. And here's the story. So we have, uh, we go back, we have to go back, like almost all stories, we have to go back to Poland, because what would be exciting about a story if we didn't go back to Poland, which is why I lead groups back to Poland all the time, so we can make things exciting. And here we're in a town, a Polish town called Lukov, which is not far from Warsaw, which is a, a it was a Hasidish town. Um, there was the Lukov Rebbe, who is a grandchild of the Kutzker. Anyways, it's, it's a real place. And in 1923, in, uh, in, in a church in Lukov, uh, Bolek Borakovsky married a woman, a Jewish woman, who, Bolek Borakovsky was a Catholic Pole, married a Jewish woman named Chava Ginsburg. Now, Chava Ginsburg's parents were not happy about this marriage, so they insisted that Bolek Borakovsky goes ahead and becomes a ger. He converts to Judaism. So, as it happens with these things, he converted, he definitely converted. As it happens with most of Polish Jewry, is that despite the fact that Bolek Borakovsky and Chava Ginsburg moved to Israel, which was then Palestine a couple of years later, but a few years after that, uh, Polish Jewry is decimated and wiped out, and any records of the Geiris, and any witnesses to what happened, and anyone who would have known them at the time, were gone. And all the records are gone, and it wasn't clear if it was a real conversion, and how good was the conversion, which, which eventually became the point of contention. So the two of them separate, Chava and Bolek, separate in Israel after a period of time. And Chava, now they don't get a get. That's the important part. She does not receive a get from Mr. Bolek Barakovsky. And instead she goes ahead and marries a fellow by the name of Yeshua Langer and has two children, Chanoch and Miriam. Okay. Chanoch and Miriam are born out of this second marriage after she had not received a get from the first marriage to Mr. Barakovsky. And Chanoch and Miriam grow up and they want to get married. The Rabbanut says, hey, the Rabbanut and Petach Tikva, they look through the case and they say, hey, they might be Mamzerim because she did not receive a get from Mr. Barakovsky. So, well, who said Barakovsky was Jewish? If he wasn't Jewish, then she doesn't need a get. So then the question came, is Barakovsky Jewish or not Jewish? So they started collecting testimonies. And it turns out that this guy, Barakovsky, was still around, still alive, his, for her first husband. So they call him in. And he says, what do you mean? I put on tefillin every day, I keep Shabbos, I'm a Jew. Of course I'm Jewish. On the other hand, he didn't know how to say the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael. He didn't know what Lichadaydi was for someone who keeps Shabbos. He didn't really know how to put on tefillin for someone who claims that he put on tefillin. There are people who testified that they saw him eating pig and going to church. On the other hand, other testimonies were given to the Petach Tikva Rabbanot that said, what do you mean? He's a good Jew. He keeps Shabbos. He comes to shul. He, he's, a, he's a good Jew. He's part of the community. He's part, he considers himself a Jew and he's part of the Jewish community. So here's a big question here. So the Petach Tikva Rabbanot says, uh, this Bolek Barkovsky sounds like he might be Jewish. And therefore, she, this Chava should have gotten a get, and she didn't. So the kids, Chanoch and Miriam Langer, are Mamzerim. They appeal the case to the Beit Din HaRabani HaGadol in Yerushalayim, the great rabbinical court of the Rabbanut. And Rabbi Eliashiv was a dying of the Rabbanut. 
Rabbi Yosef was a Dayan and the Rabbanot, and other great people of Shal Yisraeli, who was a, also a great Paisik, um, was a Dayan and the Rabbanot, and others. And they, they uh, uphold the Psak of the Petach Tikva uh, Bezdin, and they say, uh, that's it, the, the, the Bolak Barakovsky might be Jewish, and if he's Jewish, then they needed a get, and therefore they are uh, Mamzerim. Problem is, is that the government gets involved, which always messes up things. And Moshe Dayan, who was, uh, you know, one of the most powerful people in the country, he was a defense minister at the time. He says, uh, he says that we, we, we have to get, we have to take care of this problem. And he threatened the Rabbanut, actually. Moshe Dayan, he said, if you don't come up with a solution to this problem, then I'm going to make a law in the Knesset that allows civil marriage, meaning to take marriage out of the hands of the Rabbanut. And Golda Meir, who was the prime minister at the time, gets involved, and she says we have to come up with a with a solution. Maybe we should also go to civil marriage, and it becomes a media circus, and all the newspapers get involved, and which was the media in those days. They didn't have the internet, they didn't have blogs. Imagine that it was still a media circus even without blogs on the internet, and it becomes a major issue. So there's this massive pressure that someone in the rabbinot's got to come up with a solution. Not only that, but the elections for the chief rabbinate are coming up. Rabbi Yosef was voted in to become the Sephardic chief rabbi at the time. And Rabbi Shlomo Goren, who was the chief rabbi of the IDF, was now being voted in to become the chief rabbi, the Ashkenazic chief rabbi at the time. And there's tremendous pressure on him, Rabbi on other rabbis to find the solution. Rabbi did not cave into the pressure. He uh, removed himself from the story and it was left to Rav Goren, and it was kind of made contingent upon his being elected to become the chief rabbi, that he would have to come. He would only be able to become the chief rabbi of the state of Israel if he would come up with a way to give them a heter. So he gives them the din, and he says, look, this Boris guy, he can't say Shema, he doesn't know how to put on tefillin, he doesn't, he's, he's, people have seen him eating chaz, he's not Jewish, this, we don't know if he had a good... A bris Mila back in Poland. We don't know if he even went to the mikvah when he got his gerus. We don't know anything if it was a good gerus at all. And this is ridiculous. He's not Jewish at all. And um, and uh, and uh, therefore she did not need a get. And the kids are fine to get married. The day after the psak comes out, Rabbi Mordechai Peron, who is a chaplain in the Israeli army, he marries off Chanoch, and it could be even Miriam, the same day, the next day, they both get married shortly afterwards. And this becomes a major uh, controversy, and the the uh, issues that mainly Haredi rabbis came up with against uh, Rav Goren was twofold. Number one, he has no legal capability of issuing a psaq because it had already been appealed to the highest Rabbanut court of the land, which was the Beit Din HaGadol Yerushalayim that Rabbi Yashiv had been sitting on, and they had reviewed the case and upheld the psaq of the Petach Tikva Rabbanut. So there was no legal jurisdiction for another Rabbanut court, which, by the way, he, the Dayanim, besides Rav Goran, are till today kept a secret because they were scared for their lives of issuing his controversial psaq. So we don't even know who was on it. So he said, they said, first of all, there's secret dayanim that's not transparent. Second of all, he, there's no legality in this, in this Bezdin uh, overturning a psak of the Rabbanut, the highest court of the Rabbanut. That was 
one aspect of the um, the dispute against Rav Goren's psak. The second issue was with the psak itself. That uh, what do you mean? He is he he is Jewish, and there was a good gerus, and he considers himself a part of the Jewish community. So she was required to have a get. Now I don't know Tyra. I definitely don't know Hilchas Gitten or Hilchas Gerus, which are two complicated areas of halacha. So I'm definitely not getting involved in that aspect of it. And if you want to examine that aspect, the halachic aspect of it, Rav Goran put out an entire pamphlet on the topic, and there's an enormous amount of material have been written about it, which unfortunately I'm not acquainted with. Like I said, I don't know the halacha. So that's not my issue with this uh, podcast. I'm trying to give a little bit of the historical context. By the way, the irony of this uh, of the dispute was that um, that in today's uh, dialogue, if you you know follow a little bit of what's going on in Israel these days, the last five ten years, there's this ongoing dispute between uh, Haredi rabbis and the rabbanut in regards to leniencies in gerus in conversion law with the Rabbanut saying that we have to be more lenient in Gerus, and we have to accept uh, people who consider themselves part of the Jewish community, even if they don't exactly follow a halachic lifestyle, with the more conservative rabbis, conservative as in more Haredi rabbis, um, followers of Rebel Yasha, for instance, who would say, no, the person has to actually be t- keeping all the mitzvahs in order for him to be considered a kosher convert. It's just incredibly ironic because in the story of the Langer case, it was exactly the opposite. Rabbi Yashiv said he considers himself part of the Jewish community, this Barakovsky fellow, even if he doesn't really keep halacha, he can't even say Shema Yisrael for crying out loud, but that's good enough to consider him Jewish. And Rav Goren said, who was from the, you know, he's from the more lenient and he was from the, the uh, Rabbanud, and he said, he said, what do you mean? He doesn't keep the mitzvahs. He doesn't, he can't even say Shema Yisrael. How could you consider someone like that Jewish? We have to be very machmir in Geirus, that he has to be mamish, keeping all the mitzvahs properly in order to consider himself again. So each one took a different position during that dispute. But the fury that was poured out afterwards was almost unmatched against the Rabbanut, against Rav Goran personally, against his Psakim. There was a, like I said, a meeting of the Mayatzes Gedele Hataira, and everyone came together. Um, even even what we would call today more moderate voices within the uh, Haredi uh, r- rabbinical world, people like Rav Shlomo Zalman Oyerbach, um, people like uh, Rav Adi Yosef, and uh, and of course you know had Rav Chatzkel Abramsky was still around then, Rav Meishe Chavraini. And of course, Rav Shach, Rav Shmuel Vosner, the Stipler, um, they went again, even Lubavitch Rebbe uh, got involved. And all these uh, people, like I said, even including the Lubavitch Rebbe, went against Rav Goren's Psak. And they said even that because of this Psak, it's a suspect to rely on him for other uh, halachic uh, issues. Because you see that he's that this this is not a good psak, so other psakim also um, cannot be accepted by him. And there was this uh, an amazing um, show of unity actually uh, between such diverse people. Um, like imagine Rav Shach and, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe actually agreed to go against Rav Goren. I don't think they coordinated their positions together. They each went against them separately. But uh, the idea 
that so many were united against this psak. And like I said, even some of the more moderate voices showed definitely how um, how much of a contentious issue it had actually become. Rav Tzihu the Cook and other rabbis in the uh, in the religious Zionist world backed Rav Goren's psak. So it became a real dispute. And in the Haredi world, subsequently the Rabbanut itself was discredited because of Rav Goren's psak and the fact that he was now the chief rabbi of the state of Israel. Like I said, Rabbi Yashiv leaves the Rabbanut as a result and it becomes a really uh, divisive issue in 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 the community, what makes the story even another amazing twist is is how you know, like I said, almost no one comes out looking uh, great from uh, from the story. You know, you have the like I said, the different positions on on Gerus uh, that are the opposite of what it would be today, you know, opposite of what we would expect from each side, and uh, Rav Goren was. You know, condemned almost by everyone else. The Haredi establishment uh, went against him. Uh, by the way, Rev Henkin, who was the senior elderly Paisik in, in the United States at the time, he was asked, and he so he was already elderly and and dying. The the story starts in 1966, but the Psak is only issued in 1972, 73. It continues. So the controversy, sort of, Henkin was already old and pretty much blind and and uh, and uh, sick. So he said, I can't get involved in the actual halachic uh, aspect of the question. I'm not going to give up sack on the question. But regards in regards to the first issue, remember I said there was two issues. One issue was that that Rav Goran did not have the legal jurisdiction to even issue a psak because the the uh, highest rabbinical court in Israel had already given the psak and upheld the Petach uh, Tikva Rabbanut's way of seeing the story. So Rav Henkin said that's not an issue, and he has a right to, and Rav Goren has a right to issue a psak. I don't know if I agree with it or not, but he has a right to issue it. So that was interesting that he had at least a partial support, at least to get involved. So, but with, with uh, what, what, like I said, what the, I, one of the other ironies is the one who really came out not looking good was the secular establishment because they got directly involved in what should have been only a, a, a rabbinic issue. Moshe Dayan started using threats about what he's going to do in the Knesset. And they have to resolve the issue. It just And Golda Meir said the, the plight of these two children has reached her heart. So the idea that, that the government could even get involved and apply political pressure to a, what was supposed to be an independent rabbinical court, but that's not the irony. The irony is that this Barakovsky was still alive, and he considers himself a Jew. Now, in the state of Israel, being classified legally as a Jew has legal ramifications, to be buried in a Jewish cemetery, to have all kinds of rights and obligations as a Jew, as someone who can bring things to the Rabbanut. I mean, it's different being a Jewish citizen in the state of Israel and a non-Jewish citizen. It's just the reality the state of Israel does not have a separation of church and state, whether you like it or not. And there are those who like it, and there are those who don't, which is a question I'm definitely not getting involved in right now. But the issue is that Barakovsky wants to be considered a Jew, because he always was. So instead of, he, in the Rabbanut, he's not considered a Jew now, because Rav Goren overturned the Psak. And the Petach Tikva courts did consider him a Jew. But now Rav Goren overturned that. And now Goren essentially was saying that this guy is not a Jew, and therefore the Chanoch and Miriam Langer 
are able to get married, but in order to make them get married, he had to make Barakovsky not a Jew. So Barakovsky wants to be considered a Jew, so he has no recourse in the Rabbanut, so he goes to the court. And he goes, it gets to the Supreme Court of the State of Israel, the secular courts. Secular courts is ostensibly part of the secular establishment, the same establishment that Moshe Dayan and Golda Meir are a part of, that made so much pressure on the Rabbanut that they have to come up with a way to allow Hanoch and Miriam Langer to get married. Well, the only way to do that was to make Barakovsky a non-Jew, which is what they did, so they should be happy with that at this point. Now, this is, if this is not hypocrisy, then I don't know what is. The Supreme Court of the State of Israel, Paskind, they gave a, their ruling that Barakovsky is legally a Jew, and he should be considered a Jew with all the legal ramifications uh, thereof in the state of Israel. And that's how he lives the rest of his life. He lives the rest of his life as a Jew. So there you go. The, the Supreme Court, which is the part of that secular establishment, they go ahead and they just, they have it the way they want. So they got the, they got to have both ends of the, of the cake. And, um, and, uh, that's, uh, that's a saga that really brought out long, the long-term effects were a final and decisive divide between the religious Zionist community and the Haredi communities in Israel, a long-lasting distrust of the Rabbanut, and like I said, it also gave us the personality of Rabbi Yashiv. So that's a little bit just touching on the story of Rav Shlomo Gorin and the famous Psak of the Langer children. This was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours and trips of Jewish history. And you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.